welcome to a special episode of Z-List Radio. I have my co-host here, Chris Otto, and with us we have a really special guest today. Um, we have Roy Heisler, who is a cameraman. You work for A&E, Roy? Uh, well, I don't work for them, but I did a show for them a few years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, I had a... I had a Go ahead. Was it that show? Um, well, now, now Roy, his he's interesting because he's um, you filmed the Silverback Gorillas in the in Rwanda and in the Congo, right? Yeah. So I don't work for any. I work for a, uh, an organization called the Mountain Gorilla Veterinary Project, and they're based in Rwanda. Oh, okay. Okay. So now, what? What? How did you get started? Like the A and E program that you had was it the one that I saw on your website that was. Um, basically people doing things for homeless? Yeah, well, it wasn't just for homeless people. Uh, really what it was, it was uh, me and a few of my friends in Maryland. Um, we had an idea to uh, just go out there with a camera crew and meet people at random and talk to them and figure out anything they needed and try to help them with that. And not by giving them money, but totally by just opening doors for them or it could be something they've never done, tried before, they've always wanted to do. And we just filmed the process of helping strangers. And that was pretty much the simple idea. That's all it was. And um, we we self-funded it for four years and uh, then tried to sell it for four years to every network in the United States, really, and the BBC. Right. And finally, it got picked up in, at A&E for a season in 2005. Wow. Yeah, it looked it looked actually pretty cool. It looks like um, you, you traveled and you had a whole crew with you and you would do things like... I think you fixed some guy's keyboard. What what was the story with that one? Yeah, it, it could have. It, it was very simple things and very complex things. Like like you said, the keyboard. Uh, we just met a homeless. Well, he wasn't homeless, but he was on the verge of being homeless, and he he was kind of mentally ill. And his only outlet and happiness was playing music for people on the streets. Really, he didn't even do it for money. He just loved to play music on the streets. Wow. And he, we met him, and he had this broken keyboard, and we just took him to a music store and gave him a keyboard. It's very simple, but um, you should have seen what it did for this man. I mean, it, it just, number one, just showing that people cared about him in general because I think people treated him poorly. Right. Um, but I think just, this he saw this group of people helping him and doing anything we could to help him. And I think that alone just made, it, made him a better person. It, it was great. And then we had more complex things where, you know, we got a $30,000 prosthetic leg donated to a homeless man with one leg. Wow. So, um, and got him a job. After he got his leg, he got him a job. So it was things like that. And it, it was it was some of the most beautiful things I've ever done with my life with those years that I did Random One. It was it was an amazing experience to just literally be out in the streets helping people. It was beautiful. Wow, that's that's awesome. The Now, the preview's on your site. Can we plug your site? Sure. What What is it? It's... It's that, a cutfarm.com, C-U-T-F-A-R-M.com. And is that, that's your own site, right? Yeah, that's my site. Oh, yep. okay. Yeah, there, that, that's where I saw the preview. It's on there, and it looks like it was an amazing series. Is it going to be replayed at all, or? Well, the thing is, it, it did really well. I mean, it, it did okay. I mean, it was, they kind of, A&E kind of buried it um, on Tuesday nights. It aired at Tuesday nights at 9 o'clock, I think it was, and right. um, it didn't get very good ratings, and then, one episode got great ratings, and they didn't pick the show back up. But um, people still, literally to this day, write about that show. They keep it's still on the A and E site. The show is it's a it's aetv dot com slash random one, and you can read all about the show and see clips. But um, but people still write into the forum, and it, the greatest thing is, I still get emails of people saying they saw the show. It inspired them to help this person, and this is what they did. And I think that's the greatest part is reading about what that show did for other people without us even doing it. You know, it was that's a great thing to me. So we still get people writing in saying, "Where's the show?" You know, wow, that's it's too bad they didn't pick it up because yeah, it it looks pretty uplifting. You know, like it's a real positive, positive show with a message. Um, So how did you now? How did you jump from that to? to ending up in Rwanda and Congo, which is a very dangerous country. How did, how did you make that yeah. jump? Well, um, I, I made kind of a pact with myself as a professional that I was going to do things with the skills that I have that I feel good about, and I, I 
want to do things that benefit something. I don't just want to go out there and try to make money, and I don't want to just, you know, do anything for no reason. It's, I just need to, I need to have a good reason behind it. I need to feel good about it. So um, I was literally, I met um, Dr. Cranfield, who is the head of MGDP, actually lives in my hometown of Baltimore, Maryland, mm-hmm. uh, which is highly unusual to me. I can't believe he lives here. Wow. But, um, and Dr. Hammond, who... Um, actually runs Falls Road Animal Hospital here in Baltimore. They work together with MGVP. Um, I met them, I'm a freelancer, and I was in a meeting, and I met them in a meeting. They were looking for someone just to redesign their PowerPoint presentation. It, that was all they wanted. Right. And um, so I said, yeah, I'll definitely do it, and you know, I would love to help you guys. And so a couple weeks later, I went back to them. I said, look, in order for me to do a better presentation for you, I need video. So, and I told them I shoot video, I do it professionally. And then, uh, literally a month later I was in the middle of Rwanda. And, um, I, so it was really culture shock for me. I mean, I couldn't believe it. And so I was, you know, two feet away from silverback gorillas. Yeah. Was that your first international trip or no, no, I've traveled my whole life. Oh, okay. That was the thing. I've just never been, I think the thing is, um, I've never been to Africa, I can tell you that. And right. I've never been to that part of Africa, which is central Congo, which is, you know, the whole different kind of Africa. And then going actually with the doctors that work on the gorillas, it's not like being a tourist. You're, you were thrown into the most raw area of Africa you can imagine. So it, it, it was a beautiful, amazing experience, but it was, mm, it was amazing. I, I'm still trying to take it all in, you know. Now, you're, <laughs> you're back in the U.S. now, right? Yeah. And, and how long and, have you been back? I was there a year ago, and then um, I spent six months editing what I had filmed, and uh, the goal was to really, you know, try to raise them money and gain awareness and show people what they do in the field. They didn't have any footage. Right. So I edited and edited and edited. And now, um, what happened now, uh, well, we refilmed again in June because what, what, uh, they did two surgeries on orphans. They had these orphans there. Right. And, um, I don't know if you're aware of the whole story, but there were five, uh, adult gorillas that were slaughtered in the Congo, uh, wow. by, and it was on CNN last year, and, you know, they actually had pictures of them bringing them down the mountain. And um, Yeah, they were, like, they were tied on the trees, weren't they? They had them, like, Sorry? tied up on trees. They had them, like, tied up on tree branches, carrying them out. Oh, yeah, it was, they actually uh, had them on bamboo, and it they took them down almost in a ceremony to show how important these animals are. But they were, they were yeah, slaughtered for... Yeah, they were slaughtered for, um, for like, a... Uh, gaining control over certain areas and certain people. It was, it's, you know, there's a lot going on there with charcoal and uh, there's precious metals there. It's a lot of money and a lot of rebels and it's very complicated, but uh, they were slaughtered for the wrong reasons. And uh, they, the, uh, the MGBT vets who I, you know, work with now actually went in because there were these, uh, you know, the family that was slaughtered had babies and they didn't slaughter the babies. So they went and rescued the orphans. And now, they had these orphans in the facilities of MGVP. So we went over and filmed them treating them and they do surgeries on them because one had a cyst on its head and wow. it's, they're just really trying to keep them alive. And, um, so yeah, it, Aren't it's they, really, they have like family units. I mean, that's the thing, right? Is, is the gorillas are actually in a family unit with, with one King and, and, and they travel in packs, right? Yeah, they travel together, and what really what they do is there's a main male silverback. He's called mm-hmm. a silverback because he has you know silver down his back, really, right. and he he really does. Uh, he's the head of the family, and there's females. He mates with all the females, and he tries to build his whole goal in life is to build his family and protect them. You know, right. and uh, they all they do is they wake up in the morning and they move all day along the side of. They all live on the side of a volcano, and right. they. The volcano is coated with vegetation, and they just literally move and eat all day. That's all they do. And uh, so to, in order to track them and stay with them, you're, you're constantly moving with them uh, oh, wow. on the side of this big mountain, you know. So that's why you're going between the Congo uh, Congo and Rwanda? 
Yeah, they don't they don't really know borders, you know. And uh, yeah. Rwanda is very very beautiful and very safe, and uh, Congo is not. And right. well, they're, Congo is beautiful; it's just not safe. But so they they flow in between the borders of Congo, Rwanda, and Uganda, and oh. uh, it's it's actually kind of a small area they're they actually function in. And the problem is these doctors, you know, the MGVP doctors have to go wherever they are if there's trouble. Right. So. They don't care about rebels. They don't care about war. They they have to treat these guerrillas. So uh, wow. Dr. Mike, who who I work with, he's an amazing man. He really is. He's like he's our Diane Fossey of this time, and he he goes through these areas where there's bullets passing by him. You know, I mean, literally. So right. he, he's incredible. Now, one of I was watching some of your footage. It actually sounded like there was a shot or something, like someone was shooting at you guys or something. Was that for effect? Or? No, there's there's no shots on my footage. Um, we actually we were in the Congo at one point, and um, I was going to interview a prince, and he they actually kind of ambushed him, and the, actually the war broke back out a year ago. Right now, actually, I was there, and uh, it broke back out in the Congo, and there was a huge conflict actually the day they, that we were there, and. Uh, what happened was a UN vehicle, they, they put UN vehicles there and UN troops there right. and a UN vehicle hit a local, um, ran over a local by accident, killed him. Oh. And then the day after that we were in the Congo. So that was the issue is they saw us and we actually went through the funeral procession that day. And, uh, it, it was really just a, you know, a mix of bad things going on that day there in the Congo. So, yeah. Now who uh, is this? We had to, who was the prince that you were going to interview? What was his What was his role? Um, he actually works. He actually works in Virunga. He's a former prince. Um, he's not a prince now, mm-hmm. but yeah. he's a former prince. He's Dutch, and he uh, he actually works in Virunga National Park, which is uh, the park of the Congo area where the gorillas live. Right. It's a protected park, um, but you know, there's been you know a hundred a hundred guards in the park have been killed. Um, you know, since they've been guarding the park, so it's not very safe. But yeah, how he, do they he's an amazing man too. What Go ahead. Now, what does he do? I'm I'm sorry. I, did he is he protecting the gorillas as well? Yes, he's kind of he's protecting this park and the gorillas. Yes, oh, that's okay. his job. Yep. Now you mentioned that the Congo is worse than Rwanda in, in terms of situation on the ground. In terms of like violence sorry, and stuff like that. Down. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, you had mentioned you, you mentioned that the Congo was actually a worse situation to be in than Rwanda. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I, uh, there's a in in Rwanda, a Kagame, his a President Kagame, who's the president of Rwanda. He um, he actually went to Harvard. Um, he went back to Rwanda to to kind of change the the country, and he really did. He's done an incredible job there. It's 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 an amazing place. It's clean. Asphalt roads, hotels. Um, they're, I mean, people are. They're some of the most beautiful people I've ever been around. They're very happy, and they actually have a day every month. I think it's once a month. It's a Saturday where the entire country picks up trash, and the entire country. And it's it's an amazingly clean area, and it's safe. And the problem with the Congo is the exact opposite right now. It's in there's rebels there. It's you know, there's civil unrest. It's it's really, it's a very volatile place. But I mean, the whole region so, is volatile in general, like in general. But you know, the Congo's worse. So, so Rwanda pretty much cleaned up because they've been in like civil war for decades, right? Yeah, and really, you know, with the whole thing, the genocide in '94. Um, after then, I mean, people have really healed in that area. They they really have, and they you can tell, and they. There, you know, I don't know if you know the whole history, but it was the Hutus and the Tutsis, and you know, that's still kind of going on in the Congo. There was a there was a rebel leader named Nakunda, and he was uh, leading the rebels in the Congo, and he has actually been um, taken into custody in Rwanda. So now he was taken into custody in January of this year, and now everything is kind of settling down. It's still a little weird there, but. There's pockets of troops left, so they're trying to kind of like disarm everybody. And I'm not sure if that's going to happen, but um, things are looking up in the Congo, and tourism is coming back in now. Um, so that's good. 
you know. Yeah, because it used to be so bad that when Clinton got out of office, he said one of his greatest failures of his presidency was his inaction in Rwanda. And, I'm uh, sorry, what did you say? Like, You're if you watch shows like... Oh, I apologize. Uh, when Clinton was out of office and a reporter asked him what his greatest failure of his administration was, he said it was his inaction in Rwanda, basically saying he should have sent troops or peacekeeping force up there from America. So it, it's gone from being that bad to someplace it's almost reasonable to go to. Oh, yeah. I, I that- tell people, I say, look, I would, I would take my family to Rwanda. I would take my, I have a niece and nephew, they're eight and ten. I would take them there to see the gorillas. Like, that's, I, I, I feel that way about that area. It's, it's, it's a beautiful place. It, it really is. And I, it's very safe there. And, um, but, again, the Congo border is, you know, is right there. You know, cool. now, there, so. there's actual um, actual rebels living in the Congo jungle, right? I'm sorry, what'd you say? There's actual there, there's actual rebels hiding out in in the jungle in Congo, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The area we're about to go back into is called Cayuzi Biega, and mm-hmm. um, it's in the sub it's, it's in the southeast corner of the Congo. Um, it hasn't really been explored very much, and we're going in because there's a group of gorillas there who um, they're kind of dying and they're they're kind of sick, and they don't exact the doctors don't exactly know why, and they're falling, they're falling from trees, and uh, it's kind of unusual, and they're kind of concerned about that. So uh, we're actually going into that area, and uh, right now there's rebels that have been flushed out of that area. Um, they're about 600 miles away from that area. So I wow. think we're going to go in there. But there's, there's this amazing things there. There's, I mean, there's bonobos that live there, and they're, they're a different kind of primate. And um, there's actually um, pygmies that live there, there in the jungle. Um, there's uh, a museum in the middle of nowhere that houses uh, full skeletons of gorillas. It's like a Smithsonian, but it's in mm. the middle of nowhere. It's, right. it's wow. in a clearing in the middle of the jungle. It's really odd. Um, the Dutch built it, you know, years ago. Um, so it's a really amazing place, and I'm going to get to film it, so it's great. That's awesome. Now, how how do you travel around? Do you have to hike? You hike it? Um, well, we use pretty much every mode of transportation possible. You take trucks. The roads are horrible there. Um, mm-hmm. It can take a long time to get certain places because it's so bumpy. Um, we take helicopters uh, sometimes. We take planes, um, boats. Uh, the Cayuse Biega, we might take a boat uh, down. If there's a lake called Lake Kivu, right. and uh, everything everything around you is so dynamic. Like the lake, for instance, that you travel on, uh, it burps methane every now and then and kills everything around the lake. You know, oh. so it's just it's it's a really odd, amazing area. I mean, and there's you know you're surrounded by you know four or five volcanoes that are active. They glow in the day. Um, there's earthquakes all the time. Uh, you know, and there's gorillas everywhere. It's really, it's a really odd place. Well, now, what, uh, what training? I mean, did you have to go through any any training to deal with these gorillas? Because it's very, it's actually quite dangerous being around the wild animals like that. And I well, imagine it's not just gorillas, too, right? No, yeah. Some of the scariest encounters that I had weren't the gorillas. They, they actually are the most gentle things I've been around there. I mean, they're really. They look at you in your eyes. They're not reckless. They're not just going to attack you for no reason. They're, they literally stare at you in your eyes, and you can tell they're thinking. You know, so wow. Uh, it's they. I got you know. I got charged by two silverbacks, but and I was scared. But it was you could tell they weren't just going to do something reckless to you. Um, the scariest thing I had was being attacked by two elephants. I, we were attacked by two elephants for three and a half hours in the wow. middle of nowhere. Yeah. Why were they threatened? Were, well, we were in this area of the, um, it was called Akagera, and mm-hmm. uh, they actually dropped us off. We took a helicopter. They dropped us off in the helicopter, and then we got in a truck, and we started going through this area of Akagera, and I was filming. And, you know, right in the middle of the trip, when we were farthest out, uh, the truck broke down. The axle broke on the truck. Wow. And so as soon as the truck broke down, you know, we had no communication with anyone. The cell phones weren't working. Our walkie-talkie wasn't working. So we had to go one or two miles an hour in this truck to try to get out of this area. And uh, 
we, as soon as we, our truck broke down, we turned a corner and there were two bull elephants staring right at us. And the thing is with this area, there's no tourists necessarily, so they don't see people. So they were very aggressive and, you know, they were just protecting themselves really. Right. And so they pinned us in this one area for three and a half hours. And the, the one male literally continued to charge at our, our truck for three hours. It was, it was wow. really uh, crazy. That was wow. my first day there. That was actually my second day there, too. <laughs> that was my second day there. So that was kind of your training, your wildlife training or whatever. Yeah, it was like, welcome to Africa. You know? <laughs> That's too funny. Ooh. So what, what's it like? Um, you, you mentioned that the, that the gorillas look at you and, and you can tell that they're thinking. Do they, do they make facial expressions or do they show any emotion oh, on yeah, their faces? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah, definitely. They make, they're just like people. It, it's really odd. Like, you know, I, you sit with them for a while, too, and, like, I was sitting in front of a male, and he kind of had his uh, his chin on his hand. He was laying down in the bamboo, and he had his chin on his hand, and he just had this look of, like, he was kind of looked a little bored. He was like, you know, what are you doing here? And, like, that was the thing I noticed, and you can actually read kind of their expressions <laughs> on their face. You know, it's like, it's it's really weird. I, it's kind of like looking at people. And, now, you know um, what trips me out is their hands, too. Their their hands are, are actually like human hands, right? I know. I know. <laughs> they're, they're shaped like it. They they actually have fingernails, but yeah. their fingernails are black. Yeah, and the, the thing that impressed me the most, I'm a, very, I'm a smell kind of person, and their smell is uh, one of the most unusual smells I've smelled. <laughs> unusual meaning meaning bad? It, uh, it doesn't <laughs> – they don't smell bad, no. It, it's like this um, – I, I, I try to explain what it is, but I can. It's almost they almost smell like eucalyptus a little bit. But I, oh. They don't really eat it, but I don't know what that smell is. It's a musky kind of eucalyptus kind of smell. Right. Um, but I've never smelled it before. Sounds like so my experience. I love the way they smell. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, so now you deal with the you actually those babies that they've taken in the orphaned gorillas are they actually traveling with you or they're actually at a they're at a base camp or where are they well they're actually they're housed in uh they have a facility right now they're they're in a temporary facility right now in the congo a couple of them are and it's at the diane Fossey gorilla fund international uh, actually is letting us use one of their buildings in the congo uh, MGVP is actually building, they're finishing one right now, a facility for the orphans. And it's funny you ask because I just got a call today that they are moving the orphans from the, the temporary facility to the new facility. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was like, how are you moving them? And he was like, well, we're just going to put them in the truck and take them up there. I'm <laughs> like, wait, you're going you're gonna to hold baby gorillas in a truck and not you're not going to put them in crates and he's like no we're just going to hold them and drive them through the congo up Aww. into the the new building like okay i mean that's that's amazing you know i that's i can't even begin to understand that you now, know are they are those babies going to be able to to survive in the wild once they're raised by humans well that is um see that's uh that's really what i'm basing right now what's happening now is um it looks like this is getting picked up potentially as a series. And, um, well, first of all, it's going to be a film and then potentially a small series. And uh, what I'm basing the series on is that, actually, them releasing these baby gorillas back into the wild, <clears throat> into the wild, because it's never been done before. Wow. And, uh, yeah. That would be interesting because they're raised with such, you know, with, the way we talked about before, how there's like the, the gorilla king and the whole protocol of the gorilla family. Right. And, and they don't really know that, do they? I mean, are they teaching that? Who's teaching them that? I mean. Right. And right now, like the, how it works with the orphans right now, they, they each have a caregiver with them at Mm -hmm. 24 hours a day. That caregiver never leaves their side. They sleep together. They eat together. They live together. It's it's at 24 seven, literally. And uh, so that baby is really attached to that that person. And there's one named Andre. He's you know he's an amazing man too. He he just saved a baby gorilla in uh, March from uh, it, it was in a bag of clothes at the airport. They were trying to sell the baby at the airport. Oh. And uh, he he saved the baby, and now he has that baby's name is Amani, and she um, 
she's doing really well. She's really small. She had a gunshot wound on her right leg. Um, oh. They had they fixed that, and uh, she was really malnourished and dehydrated, and uh, so she's doing really well. I don't know when she'll be released, but there's another gorilla named Mapendo that's kind of older that they found in a house um, that someone was keeping him as a pet for two years, and oh. it's amazing he even survived. Uh, so... These yeah. poor, these poor little guys. They must be so confused, you know. Oh, I know, it's, I know. So I don't know how they're going to do that. I don't know what happens when, when they, how they put them into a family of gorillas. Like I, I don't understand how you even go about doing that. And that's kind of what I'm going to follow in the spring. They're they're planning on doing it this spring coming up. Wow. Now, do the it, if if a newcomer tries to come into the gorilla family, do they attack him or do they welcome him or? Has that been documented I, at all? I don't know. Oh. I, I really, I'm not sure. I know that gorillas do. If, if a gorilla's injured, they'll attack it. Um, I know that. Um, I know that if if other families come into contact sometimes, there's conflict and there are gorillas that are killed. Um, that's what I mean. I have no idea how they're going to do this. And that's I'm fascinated by how you even figure out how to try to do it, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's got, not like you can look it up on the internet or you can read a book. You know, these right. doctors, I, that's why they're amazing to me because they're doing things that literally nobody else in the world is doing, you know. Yeah. That's, um, now, you mentioned the Diane, Diane Fossey environment. How, what was her situation? Now, was she killed by, by angry poachers or was she killed by gorillas? Yeah, I think, no, she was killed by, uh, uh, poachers. I think it was poachers or rebels. I'm not sure which one. They there was a lot of conflict with her. She stood up to a lot of people there to save, you know, gorillas. But she she was kind of a. I don't quite know exactly the story. I mean, I saw gorillas in the mist, and you know, I I would I'm going to ask Dr. Mike about that because he knows her story, and I've actually met a lot of people that worked with her uh, mm-hmm. recently, so they knew knew her, and wow. um, so I. I think she just stood for what she believed in, and I think she probably stepped on too many toes, and somebody killed her. I mean, right to get really her out of the happened. way or whatever. Yeah, I think they were because, like I said, there's a lot of money involved, there's a lot of power involved, and you know, I guess when they see a foreigner coming in, telling them what to do in their homeland, and you know, right. there you right. go. So, um, do you think the majority of the gorillas that are killed are, are killed for that reason, or or? Are there is there actually a market in poaching these animals? Um, there's a market for there's a black market for it. There, I mean, they get twenty to fifty grand for a gorilla. Um, wow. So there's money in that way. Uh, I think a lot of them are killed uh, with snares. Um, you know, a lot of families put snares out for bushmeat, not necessarily necessarily to catch gorillas, but to catch. Uh, dikers and other kinds of animals for their, to feed their family, and right. the gorillas get caught in these traps and they can't get out of them, or they lose their hands, or you know, Aww. it's. So that's a big project, also that MGVP is involved with, is teaching people potentially other ways to get meat, and um, to teach people that these snares kill gorillas, which take away from the economy of the community. Right. And because it's hard. The, it's hard to get people to realize that they don't. They don't care about the animals. Not that they don't care. It's just their their focus every day is to get water and food. That's that's what their energy is spent on. You know, right. that's that's all their focus is. So, whatever it takes to do that, I understand that. You know, right. but we're trying to educate them that look, these gorillas bring eight to ten million dollars a year into your economy, and actually, it it helps you to keep them alive. You know, right? Because the money probably means nothing to them because they. They live in huts, mm-hmm. right, with and get their own food, right. and they don't have electricity or anything. So that that leads me to oh. the, the line of questioning: What is your life like there? I mean, how do you survive against mosquitoes and malaria or cholera or or whatever? I mean, how? What are your well? First of all, yeah, I'm shocked with everything known to man. Uh, <laughs> I went to you. You go to this. Um, I went to uh, this this place where you get shot, and they have this map and. I sat down with them, and they were like, well, there's this black dot over, this black circle over the uh, central Congo and Rwanda. And they said, well, we don't, have to, we don't have to just figure out what to give you because you get everything, because <laughs> they still have everything there in that area. I mean, wow. literally, they still have the plague there. They have everything. 
Wow. So I had probably 13 different shots before I left. I had to take pills the whole time I was there. I was taking yellow fever. I mean, I mean everything that you could imagine. You're taking malaria pills the entire time you're there. Yeah. Um, but the area of Rwanda, you're in such, you're in a little bit of a higher elevation, so there's not many bugs. But the impenetrable forest of Uganda is full of bugs and mosquitoes. I mean, it's it's really bad, and there's lots of malaria. So, yeah, and, I mean, there's all kinds of things there that just you wouldn't even think of that, you know, if you urinate in water there, <laughs> if you urinate in water, there are parasites that climb up the stream of your urine into your penis. Yeah, you know what? I've seen, they have those in Brazil, too. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's, you know. I, it, That's crazy. It, there's yeah, anything you can imagine that there can can kill you. So it's you know, and and they have a so, now Rwanda doesn't, but I think um, Congo and Uganda have a higher AIDS rate as well, right? Yeah, yeah, they have a really high AIDS rate there. Really now, high. It's a really dense population there. Really dense. Wow. I mean, some of the densest populations in Africa are there. Yikes! Now, what's uh, I was reading that the the gorillas haven't been prone to HIV? Um, well, they're, apparently, they have found a, it's, it's, um, they have found a strain of HIV in the primates. This is going to, that'd be more of a question for Dr. Cranfield. Right. Um, they've been studying it. Uh, there hasn't been any known cases transferred. There was a woman recently that was found, they thought that she had contracted AIDS from uh, gorilla. Wow. And it was from a lowland gorilla, not a mountain gorilla. This was, I think, last year. Right. And I think that was in like Australia, though, wasn't it? Um, wasn't that- no, it was in the wild. Actually, in it was oh. actually in Africa. Yeah, and she apparently they were trying to figure out if there was blood, if in some way there was some kind of because it wasn't sexual. So they they were trying to figure out how it could have happened. But I think they kind of they figured out that it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't transferred from a gorilla to a human, so I don't think that's possible. Now, I, I there was like a story a few years back where a woman said she was raped by a gorilla, and I, I was thinking that's got to be like some guy in a gorilla <laughs> suit or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I doubt, I doubt that would happen. I, I, I don't think that's physically possible, and it's really odd to see a male gorilla mate too. I mean, they stay in very, very still. They stand behind the female, and they make this really odd stuttering noise it's really odd um and it only takes a few seconds and that's it you really? know, it's very quick and what position yeah, is it, now what position is she in like, <laughs> and she she sits there for it or she yes he kind of comes behind her and uh-huh. kind of mounts but sits like he sits upright he's not like leaned over he sits upright and he makes this noise it goes like <laughs> like that like that that's the noise and you have footage, you you've actually filmed that huh yeah yep <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. And and when you saw that the first time, were you like, what did he just do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and apparently it's really kind of rare to see. So Really? Yeah, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah so not many people see it. What other animals besides the elephant and the gorillas have you encountered? Are there big constrictors there? Are there sloths? I mean, those no, things no are constrictors. There's... Um, we we saw a really we saw a couple black mambas there. You know, they're one of the most poisonous oh, snakes in the world. Yeah. Um, but uh, we saw a lot of zebra. We saw um, uh, we saw hippos. A lot oh. of hippos. We saw that we actually went on a night game trek and saw hippos at night, which was really amazing. That's and, right. Um, I saw footage of that on your website. Yeah, that was yep. pretty cool. Yeah, and. Uh, Let's see what else. There's um, there's forest buffalo there that are one of the most dangerous animals in the area. They they actually they live in the forest and they they just charge through the forest. So if you're in their way, there's no getting out of the way of them, and they just literally run right over you. They're huge. Wow. And uh, they don't stop. So they're they're really dangerous. And when you're when we're trekking up to see the gorillas, we have armed guards with us, uh, you know, with big rifles, but um. And most of the rifles are to shoot in the air, scare them away, because you probably can't even... It's for elephants and for forest buffalo, really, to scare them away. Right. Um, to divert them from running over you. So you don't have uh, guns of elephants. 
for protection. You're not. Go ahead. You're not prote- You're not protected with guns like against against rebels or. No. Wow. We don't. We don't carry any sort of weapons ever. None of us do. Mm. And uh, sometimes we have armed guards with us, but most of the time we don't. Um, you know, it's I'm with doctors. You know, they don't. They don't carry guns. Right. You know? That's kind of scary, though. Yeah, I wish I had guns. You know, yeah. I wish. <laughs> but Is when it... it comes down to it, what are you going to do? You know, yeah. like. What am I going to do with one guy with a gun? You know, is, it, you need... is it policy? That, you know, it's like they're just saying we're here. We're peacekeepers here. We we don't. Want yeah, I mean, to... I think. Yeah, and I think that's that's the way Dr. Cranfield wants it, and I I, I agree with it. It's like, right. you know, we're here to help these gorillas. We're not interested in anything you're doing. Like we don't. In either way, we don't want to stop you or help you. You know, right. so like, it, it's our focus is gorillas, and you know whatever it takes to get there, and you know. We're not violent people whatsoever, you know. Right now, what about the um, when you when you saw the black mambas? What were the circumstances there? How close were you to those? Um, well, one day we were we were in a truck um, in Akagera, that same area, you know, where we saw those elephants. Uh, right. We were in a truck. The um, a black mamba crossed in front of the truck, and I was the only one in the truck that saw it. We were going about maybe ten miles an hour or something. And he was so big, he stretched across the road, which mamas are usually kind of small. And wow. Big snake. And um, the driver didn't see it until the last minute. And the snake didn't see us till the last minute. And the snake took off for the other side of the road. And there was an embankment on the other side of the road. He hit the embankment and literally shot straight in the air. And I saw his head almost poke through the, the side window, the driver's side window of the truck wow. as we passed it. Yeah, he jumped, like, in the air off the embankment and then went into the woods. And, of course, Dr. Hammond, as soon as he saw it, he's like, stop the truck and starts running into the jungle to try to catch him. <laughs> so, and I was like, what are you doing? Are you out of your mind? And, like, and he'll, you know, we came up to a termite mound, which is, like, 10 feet high. Right. And it was the biggest termite mound you've ever seen. There's holes all in the termite mound of where animals kind of bore in to eat the termites. Right. And, you know, he'll... Dr. Hammond just sticks his arm um, shoulder deep into the hole to see if he can pull out a lizard from by the tail, you know, and like, like, what are you doing? I don't don't want you to pull that out. (laughs) Oh, my God. So he's kind of fearless. So someone needs to keep an eye on him. Mm. That's for sure. Definitely Um, fearless. No doubt about that. That's too funny. Um, So now there were some pictures that you had, um, and there was like a truck across the road. What was the situation? Oh was, yeah, was it blocking? We were, a blockade or something? Yeah, we were on our way to um, we were on our way to the Congo border, mm-hmm. and um, we were that was in Rwanda, close to the border, and we came up uh, round the corner, and there was a truck jackknife directly wedged in the road, and there's no getting by it, right. and there's no tow trucks in Rwanda, so you know, God knows how long it's going to take to get this truck out of the area. You know, who knows. And so we tried to tell a driver who was meeting us at the Congo border that we were stuck and that he needed to come and get us. But uh, he went around. Uh, instead of coming to the other side of the jackknife truck, mm-hmm. he took a route around through the mountains of Rwanda, which took forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, now, hours. And we never saw him, and it was getting dark. So we said, well, we're just going to start walking to the Congo, and it was dark. You know, so mm-hmm. we we crossed under the truck and started walking down the street. And it, you know, when it gets dark in Rwanda, it's uh, there's no light anywhere. I mean, right. it's it's pitch black. And so we hitchhiked. I, I actually hitchhiked that night in Rwanda <laughs> through the Congo border. And I had a, you know, I had thirty thousand dollars worth of equipment on my back. Uh, you know, I had a HD camera on my back, and you know, so I'm looking around me like, and we had about fifty kids following us. You know. And so it, it was really unusual situation to, to I can say that I, I, you know, hitchhiked in Rwanda and survived. And, uh, <laughs> but the, of course I look back at Dr. Cranfield, he's playing soccer with the kids in the street. You know, that's, that's the kind of person he is. He just, he had no cares about the whole thing. He just, and he, he's the real deal because that's, that's when I knew he was the real deal. That was the third day I was there. And I was right. like, this guy's the real deal. He's playing soccer with the kids. You know, that's funny. 
That's yeah. funny. So the the truck wasn't there intentionally. They weren't intentionally blocking the border. They were just they just accidentally. No, it was just an accident, and oh, it got okay. wedged in there. And uh, the the craziest part about Africa for me is we got all the way to the Congo border, and on the Congo border, there's a you know five star hotel sitting on the Congo border. <laughs> on yeah. which side? On the Rwanda side or on the Congo side? On the Rwanda side. And oh, okay. so we came up. It's called the Kivu Sun. That's what it's called. Mm-hmm. And I went from literally third world situation where I wasn't sure how I was going to get out of the situation to being in one of the nicest hotels I've ever been in. Wow. Really, it's just really odd. It's a really odd place. <laughs> That's funny. So do you? So yeah. did the kids follow you to the hotel or <laughs> were they like? Well, we hitchhiked. We, got oh, a, we okay. actually hitchhiked. And uh, we got a ride from this guy. We all piled in this little car. And you know he took us to the to the border. He took us to the Congo border. Wow! Yeah, that's pretty cool. So then, then you crossed over into the Congo from there. Yeah, uh, yes, and it's literally literally like entering another world as soon as you cross the Congo. It's it wow. goes from kind of you know very clean, nice to very dirty. Uh, I mean, there is still. I mean, there's volcanic rocks laying on the road that are still smoking. You know, it's it's wow. like, and it you can feel the hostility there too. You can just feel it. You know, yeah. it's just very different. And uh, so, yeah, we crossed the border the next morning, and I felt like I went to another world. Wow. So, do your parents yeah. are your parents like super worried about you? <laughs> or I mean, well, what are their feelings uh, on all this? Well, my, I think my sister said she cried a lot when I was wow. gone because I was actually, you know, I was blogging like, you know, as much as I could. I was blogging to kind of journal what was happening to me, and she was reading it every night, which, you know, uh, uh-huh. when you read that your, you know, your brother is, you know, getting attacked by elephants, you don't know how to take that, you know. So, <laughs> but, but you know, they, they were incredibly worried about my mother and my sister, incredibly worried about me. Uh, they, but... At the same time, it's one of these things. It's one. Of the, it's a situation you just can't say no to, no matter uh-huh. the danger. You know, you can't. I couldn't say it would. It would be more painful for me to say no than than what I went through there. You know. Right. So they knew that I had to do it, and they know for some reason I'm doing this, and I, I'm literally being pulled into the situation. So I have to do it. You know, I have to follow through with it. Right. And plus, you know, the opportunity, it's like you have the opportunity and you're able to take it. It's like you were saying on the internet, you know, it's like the opportunity's there. So it's probably the the cosmic alignment of your life, you know, or, or something like that, you know, like yeah. you're supposed to be no, doing this. Absolutely. And right. And it's, it, it's halfway, it's, I mean, over this past year, it's been a, almost a burden to me in a way. It's like, right. I can't believe that I have to be in this situation. And then, but now I think, you know, it's changing now. I mean, what better way to spend, spend your life than to be in some of these amazing places and making a difference in a way, you know, with these, with these animals and like, there's only 700 of them left. I mean, it's, it's a species that's about to go, you know, and like I'm with the people that are single handedly saving them. It's, it's incredible. Do you you think they'll be saved? Do you, I mean, do you, is there hope for the species? I, I do because of Mike Cranfield. I, I really do. And uh, he, you know, since he's taken over, which was in 97, 98, I think it was 12 years ago, the population has increased. But they're going to have difficulties because this area is so small that they're in in Rwanda. I mean, the people have come all the way up to the park. They're, they're farming all the way up to the park, and now they stopped them over these past few years. But that's the problem is they're in this – conundrum of like if i save these gorillas and increase the population there's not going to be enough environment to sustain them so we have to think about moving them somewhere you know right and that's that's their only natural habitat right is is in that area they're in any other region yeah and how do you move a species of animal you know i i don't know how you do that right without putting them in a zoo or something you know right no which is not not going to happen wow so how close now now you get to play with the babies and you get to like hold Well, these. you have to be to touch the babies, you have to be quarantined uh for uh-huh. I think 2 weeks. Um because they can get everything that we get. If we if I had the flu and go in there, they can get the flu from me. Um Aww. and that can wipe them out. I, that that can yeah. literally wipe the population out. Uh right. So, you have to be quarantined, you have to be healthy and if you do touch them, you're in full uh 
scrubs with mask, a uh, certain kind of mask too. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but it's a really high grade mask that doesn't pass anything. Um, right. So no, and mostly these babies too, even at the young age that they are, <laughs> they can, uh, they can do lots of damage to you. I mean, if they bite you, you're, you know, they can take huge chunks of skin out of you and they're really, really strong, really mm. strong. So they have to kind of know you. Yeah. And they know they're, like I said, that caregiver that's with them at all times, uh, that's who they're attached to and that's who they trust. So they kind of look at them and say, am I okay? You know, in this situation and they kind of, they go on their caretaker and it's long, I think they feel safe as the caretakers there, you know? Right. Wow. So when do you go back? Um, well, I think we're talking about going back on November 20th because they're moving uh, the orphans from one facility to another uh, in a truck. <laughs> so I, I might film that. And then um, I'm going to start developing a story about them releasing these orphans into the wild, uh, right. which is in the spring. So up until that point, I don't know what exactly I'm doing. I have a bunch of meetings, and I'm going to L.A. actually on Thursday for meetings about that, actually developing this into a full story that, you know, we can show them actually doing this. Uh, so I think November and then the spring. Oh, okay. This is just really – now, can people go and and travel with you, or I do – do any tourists like latch on to you or or is this like a a fully private task well it, yeah it's it's mostly private um tourists can go into rwanda mm -hmm. and you know visit the gorillas it costs 500 bucks um mm -hmm. you get a pass and you gather in the morning first thing in the morning you get a pass it's 500 bucks uh you're taken you know with a guide up to the where the gorillas are there's trackers that track where they are and you right. hike and it could take two hours it could take eight hours but uh you get one hour with the gorillas and you come back down um wow. so a tourist can do that uh as far as coming with us it's a little different uh we go into you know <laughs> we go into the war areas so it's a little different and yeah. um yeah so we kind of kind of keep it you got to keep it at a minimum of people and uh that's kind of my problem too is filming it correctly i i can't take a big crew with me you know right, so right i'm like doing everything i can to cover things and you know when i was there before it was just me i was by myself you know i was the only film guy with all these doctors so right. i didn't have an audio person i didn't have a producer nothing so it was you know it's challenging right it's kind of like the survivor man he carries his his own equipment right, right. i mean <laughs> right so you're kind of like exactly. the silverbacks a survivor man there um right okay well that this this is really interesting can you keep us um enlightened about what you're doing and what you're up to and we'll give updates on you and absolutely will excellent and your and your website is cutfarm.com yeah I, i'll i'll be posting things like i said we're in the middle of kind of making a deal with a network so i can't post much right now i'm going to post clips but as I get more and we get kind of things on the air, I'm going to put things on the Cut Farm site so Excellent. people can go there and see whatever they want. It's cutfarm.com. Excellent. Thanks for joining us tonight, Roy. Yeah, thanks. Thank you very much. All right. Have a good one. Now I'm the king of the swingers. Oh, the jungle VIP. I've reached the top and had to stop, and that's what's bothering me. I want to be a man, man cub, and stroll right into town, and be just like the other men, I'm tired of walking around, oh, ooby-doo, I want to be like you, I want to walk like you, talk like you, you'll see it's true, and they like me, can't learn to be human too.
is your part of the deal, cuz. Lay the secret on me of man's red fire. But I don't know how to make fire. Now don't try to kid me, man cub. I made a deal with you. What I desire is man's red fire to make my dream come true. Now give me the secret, man cub. Come on, clue me what to do. Give me the power of man's red flower so I can be like you. Ah. Uh.